To another episode, nay, a mini sode of King of the Shill. Nothing mini about this sode, except no. the fact that it is a mini sode. Ooh, Scott, you sound good. Did you get a new microphone? I did get a new microphone. I wanted to actively sound like less shit when we well, talk. Well, I think that's probably going to make my life a little bit easier. Probably. So, <laughs> so that's exciting. But the person on the new mic, that is Scott, and I am Chris. And this is King of the Shill. It's actually a mini-sode, so if this is your first time joining us, it's a little bit off the beaten path than what we're used to, but we're still very excited to be here and be hanging out with everybody. Um, We're going to be sort of not shilling something specific today, but just getting together and talking about some shit that we just generally like. Yeah, it takes time uh, to come up with shills, man. I mean, it's not like hard work, but you have to actually present a case and come up with content, so this is just us hanging out. Yeah. And the other thing, too, is that, like, you have to watch a lot of content sometimes and consume a lot of the content, too. And, you know, we're big boys. We have jobs, right? We have jobs outside of this. They may not be in, you know, uh, they may not be in fields that people look kindly upon in certain countries. They may not be, you know, some, some may call it wet work. No, yeah, definitely. You know? All, all of my fingers are getting wet from all of the all of the things that I do on a daily basis. Yeah, go on, elaborate. Well, you see, I take my fingers. Yeah. And I put them in like this kind of shape. Oh, yeah, you're and raising then, two fingers. Yes, okay. I'm, I'm raising two fingers and then I do this. Oh, wow. Okay, that's... Uh, there's a, there's a term for that hand signal you're making. Uh, some may know it by a Spider-Man villain name and, uh, oh, yeah, it's, uh, yes, I frequently do, uh, enact the, uh, Mysterio on a yeah, regular the basis. Mysterio, that's what it's called. Thank you. Yeah, exactly. Right. Well, you know, speaking of Mysterio and mysterious things, um, Outriders came out this week. Yes. Um, I am a huge looter shooter person no. because yeah. And we're going to, we're going to talk about games again. We talk about games a lot because we play a lot of games, but uh, I am a huge looter shooter person. In addition to all of the other games that we like, like the fighting, mm-hmm. like the JRPG. Yes. Like the other thing <laughs> that we haven't talked there, about. Yet. There are many. Yeah, there are many things. I really like looter shooters because I like looting games. It takes me back to um, like old school Diablo, right? Mm -hmm. Like I remember the first time that I ever had any experience with Diablo was on the PS1. I think it was the first Diablo. Whatever one had a had a had a PlayStation port. I'm not sure what was on the PlayStation. I know I got started with two on the PC. But go yeah. ahead. And so like whatever port was on the PlayStation of some sort, um, it was my first high school girlfriend whose older brother was like super into Diablo. So um, we were just hanging out one time and she was like, have you ever played Diablo? And I was <laughs> like, well, what is that? Yeah. <laughs> and so like ever since then, I, like the loop of kill the thing, get the thing, wear the thing has been really like one of my favorite styles of games persistently yeah. since so i've always gravitated towards the diablos and they really exploded with 
Borderlands, mm-hmm. which I don't even really like, to, to be honest with you. Like, I as mean, much as I... There's basic elements of looter shooters and even, like, Fortnite. There's item yeah. rarities, man. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, right. You know, like, because it's, it's the whole thing of, you know, they have the tiered loot system similar to RPGs mm-hmm. in a way, right? Um, I don't even really know when like the color-coded tiered loot system really became a prevalent a lot thing. of that is world of warcraft specifically really? mm-hmm. the okay. the green blue purple orange ascending scale of color a lot yeah. of that comes from world of warcraft which okay they may have been influenced by something else i don't know but i know that's probably where it came from yeah so you know it's it's not even really like uh, it's not even really something that goes like super like deep back to my childhood, but it hits a lot of those things mm-hmm. of like it, it's very much instant gratifi- grat- gratification. Yeah. Well, it's, right? it's tangibility and reward, right? You immediately yeah, right. get it. You immediately get tangible recognition of a thing you've done. Yeah, no, exactly. And it's it's a little bit different than saying like, you know, we've talked about uh, Shin Megami Tensei before when you were telling me about it uh, for the first time a couple weeks ago. And it's like this thing of, you know, you're procedurally like talking to monsters and, and getting them to do things and leveling up. And there's a very slow burn in that power scaling versus, you know, in looter shooter games like Borderlands, for example, you could be really struggling with an encounter, kill a boss that drops you a purple weapon and immediately putting that on makes you deal 10 times as much damage and right. then everything's cool for the next hour and a half. Right. Um, they tap into that uh, Bungie developers of my favorite looter shooter, Destiny, uh, famously creators of Halo mm-hmm. um, and Marathon before it. Um, they got really famous for the 30 second loop with Halo. That was like, you know, really like their sort of proprietary methodology in developing Halo Combat Evolved was, you know, give the player a repeatable loop on 30 seconds that they can essentially do the same thing over and over again and not realize they're doing the same thing over and over again because it feels different in in some way, shape or form every time. Um, So this hits that for me. My ADD gaming is just way way fucking out of control which is why i play fighting games the yeah. way that i do yeah yeah uh, you have you have a pattern we'll say that yeah mm-hmm. no so uh so i really like those games and uh like i said before um De- destiny is my favorite mm-hmm. i was never really into looter shooter games until i played destiny because my looting game backbone came from diablo and then i actually Someday we'll get into this because I have a really weird history with media and my in my upbringing. But I played Diablo, never played Diablo two, and then <laughs> you know got back onto the Diablo train with yeah, Diablo with three. three. Yeah. Um. So you know my looting sort of gaming, uh, history is more like sort of spotty. So again, like Borderlands never really spoke to me. And then I got into Destiny, and the thing that really hooked me about that was more so the, th- the theme and the lore and everything. But there are always those things about games and games that you play frequently that you go back to and that you think like, God, you know, you spend so much time with a game and you start to think like that you're out thinking the developers and the designers, right? And you just hit these things of like, why the fuck is this not in this game? Right. And you start making up these wish lists like, you know, well, if I worked at Bungie, 
right? Mm -hmm. Or you start talking to your friends that also play the game with you and you start like sort of theorizing on like, oh, what, what would be cooler? What would be better than what we currently have? So, um, Outriders for me thus far is all of the things about looter shooters that I have said, I wish this game had that. Yeah. And nothing about those other games that makes those games awesome. Uh, <laughs> okay, that's that's depressing to hear, but I need you to elaborate a little bit, but I, I know that emotion, right? It's like, oh man, you nailed this one thing no one else was doing and then just completely shit the bed. Yeah, right? where's like, the rest of the game? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like Anthem. I could fly around in that game forever. Mm-hmm. Like if you ever wanted an Iron Man simulator, that's the game. Look no further. In fact, never make another one because I don't want another pass on this. Mm -hmm. But at the very least, it does the flight right. Sort of similar here, but to a better degree. Um, it's it's so great because it 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 really like all I want to do is go play it, and all I want to do is go grind loot. And that's Mm -hmm. the core loop of the game, right? You are a super weak individual and you are climbing the the ranks of power through killing enemies and taking loot that they drop and equipping and modifying and building and making a build, right? And saying like, ooh, it's not enough for me to shoot bullets. I have to shoot fire bullets, right? So you can do the, the builds and everything. It's got that loop, that thing of... You know, this is what's going to bring me back and what's going to keep bringing me back gameplay wise. But holy shit, (laughs) like looter shooter games, not exactly known for their story. Mm -hmm. Not exactly games that you sit down and engage with on like, oh, I really I I want a really thought provoking narrative here. Yeah, I would. I think Destiny is the exception there specifically because it was like. It's something that they prioritize in their in their in the way that they present their game. And it's not just an afterthought to the looting. It is what drives why you are doing the looting. Yeah. Versus, um, you know, Outriders kind of just has this really generic sci fi. Earth is dying. We need to get off Earth. We're going to this other planet and shit goes wild. Mm-hmm. Right. It's got a couple like nifty twists in it, right? Um, so like there's this thing that happens right at the beginning. And um, I mean, maybe you consider this a spoiler. I personally don't, but it happens within like the first hour of the game or so where you're kind of getting your your bearings about you and like it you're you land on the new planet and everything is lush and green and cool and fun, and you're like man, this is great. And you start like walking around the planet and there's, you know, life everywhere and all this wildlife. And then this like crazy, like sci-fi storm with weird colored lightning bolts zip zapping all over the place pretty much kills your entire crew squad that you're with. And you and your, your soldier friends are known as outriders. You're, Mm -hmm meant you're supposed to be sent to basically keep the peace right you are verifiably the police force 
Hold on. Let me of, let, of, let me make this soy, the new bastion. Let, let me make this soy face real quick while you're explaining the rest, because the, the name of the game is the name of the thing. So I have to yeah. pop off. <laughs> All right, go ahead. <laughs> they said it. Yeah, they, they said they said, said it. it yeah, dude. yeah, Poggers. they said it. All right. Uh, so, <laughs> so, so yeah. So, um, you know, you're outriders. You're the police force. Yeah. And uh, so shit goes awry. Bunch of people die. You get locked in a cryo chamber because somebody's like, you're hurt real bad. And somebody's yeah. like, well, we got to save you. And at some point along the way, you um you gain these powers somehow by the uh you know by the force of god and anime so you uh <laughs> wake up 30 years later yeah just 30 years later yeah just it's it's not like it's not like you bust out in like this heroic thing it's just like 30 years later yeah. which is kind of cool because uh like from a from a presentation perspective it's kind of neat to have that expectation subverted of like oh this is the world that we're in and this is going to be that standard game of, oh, I got to go shoot the animals and then we're going to find this alien race of people that were already here. Yeah. And all that shit happens. Don't get me wrong. But it's neat for it to go from this is what I think I'm, this is going to be about to no, now this world is colonized and it's a fucking it, it is just a war zone. Right. right. It's almost like it almost has like a Mad Max feel to it. Right. So um, the presentation is cool in that. Right. But man, the story, it doesn't have anything to it. It, like I said before, um, you know, I think I mentioned to th this to you before we started recording and rolling, but this is not so people can fly the developers. This mm -hmm. is not supposed to be a game as a service. They're not, right. they have said that, you know, they're they haven't committed to any adding anything more beyond patches and fixes like no dlc no additional content or anything like that but they would monitor it and see how it goes but if it's not so fucking obvious that that is what is going to happen um because like the story is literally just like you're on the planet you wake up yeah you find well, the warlord you find the alien like you find the magic key story over <laughs> first of you know all I mean? it's, it's derivative to start and it's like clearly indicative of like this slow drip kind of feed that you you get from a gas game but i think we were speculating this might be as a uh, a business decision as a result of the failure of avengers right well yeah and i think that i really hope that the games as a service thing is on its way out personally yeah. as much mm -hmm. as i love destiny but I, I tend to agree with you, you know, like I think that I think that before I played the game, I would have said, well, you know, Avengers, Avengers was coming out like way before Outriders, like almost a year before Outriders. And, um, you know, so Outriders would have been in like two different development cycles. How can they really pull the plug that quickly and pivot? But, you know, realistically speaking, A, this is the games industry and B, after having having played the game now right it is the story is short right i have yeah. dumped a net total of 35 hours into it since the game has released and i have played enough to level a character to max level unlock all of the world tiers except for the last three get a shit ton of legendary loot and start a second character just to tell you how much story there yeah, is which is it. like it's less than the average amount of time you spend in a single player rpg 
nowadays right, right? and you're done which is like it's it's indicative of something whether yeah, or not right. it was intended to be a gas game or not there's there's some writing which, on the wall there yeah and which don't get me wrong like the the core loop of the game is to go out and get the loot right yeah. but like you know if you're not going to be doing this as a as a service right and you're not going to be continually drip feeding content you need to give me some kind of reason once i max as many characters as I care to max for me to come back and play it again and play it more. And for me, one of those things is an interesting world that I can engage with and chew on. Yeah. Well, it's, it's the thing too. It's on game pass, right? So especially if you're not intending to get only, right. If you're not, if you're not intending to get uh, money through the door, through microtransactions and other business models, what the hell are you doing? Yeah. You know what I mean? Which, so. you know, it's fine. Like, don't get me wrong. I Nothing would please me more than to hear them say, like, listen, we released a $60 game and yeah. that's all there is to mm-hmm. it. But yeah. it, again, right. If if you if I were to be at a restaurant and order the sandwich, yeah. right. And the sandwich was a bun with a grilled patty of ground meat lettuce tomato mayo and ketchup i'd say well this is a burger yeah doesn't matter how often or how hard you try to convince me that it is a sandwich i don't give a shit what you're calling it it is a burger yeah clearly you can derive that from what you're eating right yeah same thing i can derive from what i'm playing that if this isn't going to be a service game it sure as fuck was Mm -hmm. it's just it's there but Outside of that, man, I have a lot of good things to say about it. Um, What what would you say your biggest complaint about like the Destiny loot system is? For me, it was just that like I'm not the type of person that gets a lot of enjoyment from loot in the first place. Uh, I've played so many. I think I think it's a combination of my personality type and just the amount of things I've played. Like I played so many JRPGs where. I've gotten the legendary sword at the end and then just had to go on to the next game where it just it turns my brain off. Right. I don't I don't care what it is I have. I care about. Meta interaction stuff, player agency stuff and my own personal skill. So for Destiny, right, where I felt like it didn't really test my player agency much at all. Right. And loot while had while it had a diverse range of impacts on gameplay all the guns work well not all of them but a lot of guns work very differently and lead to different types of play styles and strategies right the fact that the guns themselves were so impermanent right that in diablo if i spec into a certain ability the ability doesn't time out at a certain point right and right. in Destiny, if I got a bow that I really liked, and you can upload upgrade the bows and stuff, but if if I got a bow that I really liked that worked differently than other bows, I had to constantly feed other loot into it to even get it to a certain point. And then with any given patch, it might fall out of style because of balance changes they've made to the way that little modifications work. Add to that the amount of grinding, and for me, it's just like a formula for disaster. Yeah. I have long said that the thing that's holding destiny back from achieving its true potential is the lack of agency on loot 
and I don't understand why they choose to make the decisions that they do. I can if I sit down and internalize it because you can really boil things down to brass tacks stupidly like, well, the point is to drive repeat engagement and you can't drive repeat engagement if you just hand everybody the loot that they want right away. Now, there are argument points against that, but generally speaking, yeah, I get what I get what they mean by that. Right. But the lack of agency over just being able to experiment, being able to uh, have fun with your build, right? And being able to have complete and total customization once you've reached the zenith of completing the railed portion of the game, right? And now you are unleashed into the end game, into the world. I truly believe that in that setting, you need to give your player base absolute agency yeah right um outriders achieves this in spades um yeah. it's got its it's got its problems with the system don't get me wrong but uh, a couple things that i want to point out here you can carry any piece of loot you want forever mm-hmm. if you want to if you get so the way that it works is you have your base level you set a world tier mm-hmm the world tier increases difficulty and also increases the level in which loot drops at, right? Mm-hmm. So your max level is 30, but you can get, you can increase the world tier to get like level 42 loot, for example. Mm-hmm. That's cool. So it's just that much more powerful than the shit that you can get at max level, right? So you get a shotgun at level 16 that for whatever reason, you just, you fucking love it. You're just like, nobody's counting the kills on this, but I am. And I know I've got 767,000 kills on this. I am not leaving this shotgun behind. Provided you have the resources which come naturally from killing shit, you can upgrade it. You can Mm -hmm. increase the level. You can improve some of the, the native stats on it. You can carry that as long as you like. So that's cool. That's something that I really like. So something that you mentioned about Destiny, about, you know, stuff maybe not really being viable in future content because they've decided to get rid of it somehow for whatever reason by, you know, saying you can't upgrade it past this level or, you know, um, we're just, you know, removing this from the game, which 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 they have done before, right? Because this is a side effect of service games. Um, You can carry any weapon with you as long as you want. The weapons work on... Uh, the weapon like talents and everything work on mod systems. Mm-hmm. Uh, each weapon um, of purple variety and higher purple and legendary variety will have two mods. Now you can change any one of these mods that you like. There's a little bit of a gamification to it. They make you, they, they turn your choices into something a little bit more meaningful in that once you swap one mod out, you cannot alter the second mod slot any longer. Mm. So you can continue to change the mod slot that you altered the first time as many times as you want. Just put, take new mods in and out, no matter what tier, no restrictions on that. Once you mod one slot, the second slot on the weapon is unmoddable forever. Mm-hmm. That's fine, right? But what's really cool is like, say you've got an SMG that's got rounds on it that light the enemy on fire. And you've got, you know, another shotgun that has a perk that the SMG doesn't have that makes enemies blow up and their bones shrapnelize to enemies around them and it inflicts bleed. And you're like, man, yeah, wouldn't it be fucking rad 
if I could make this SMG that turns my bullets into flames also make them explode into shrapnel bones and inflict bleed like my shotgun does. And Outrider says, fucking go for it, chief. If you dismantle a weapon or a piece of armor, any mod on that weapon, any mod goes into your inventory. And then you can take any mod in your inventory and put it into any weapon you want. So in the case of where Destiny's exotic weapons, which are their highest tier weapons, have intrinsic perks that you cannot change. Right. If you like the perk, the tier three mod, this crazy fucking bone shrapnel mod that dropped on this shotgun, you can just say, I'm putting that on my SMG. Yeah. It just gives so much value to experimentation and fun. And yeah. it's, well, it- oh, I love it. It sparks joy. And to briefly yes. touch upon this, like the, back when I was playing Destiny, we would talk a lot about the sandbox and how it affects balancing uh, yeah. for especially for PvP. And one thing I never understood coming from Magic the Gathering, coming from fighting games is um, there's they had an over preoccupation with restriction like well, it people would argue it makes sense, and I guess it does in a way, but it makes sense that you have to grind for a million years to get this loadout of modifications on this gun because it's just so fucking good, dude. And if everybody right. had it, it would be a problem. But then you think to yourself, if everybody had it, why would it be a problem? Yeah. Right? Right. If everybody <laughs> right. had total creative control, why would things that are absurdly powerful be imbalanced? Everybody would have them. Like there's a, a common complaint a lot of people have. I get very salty at fighting games, but in my head, I can intrinsic, I can uh, rationalize to myself, right? Yeah, Geese in Tekken is bullshit. He has aerial stuff that no other character can do because he, he's 2D. He has max mode cancels. He has all these words, right? I could just pick Geese. Yeah. If he's that busted <laughs> right. and I want to win that bad, I can just pick Geese. Just pick Geese. Yeah. Right. So to hear this approach i think is more in line with 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 what i would want out of a looter shooter which is let me decide dude you know what i mean it it has really sort of given a contextualization right to um one of the things i say about destiny all the time which is pve only destiny when right mm-hmm. and i know that might be controversial um to to some people because destiny has a huge pvp community too right like most of the content creators um, that focus their content around destiny. Um, there's not a whole lot of PVE only content creators. Um, most of the PVE only content creators, the, the ones that are making content about the game that you engage in, where it's just you versus the environment and the enemies, they all talk about the lore, right? (laughs) Content creators for destiny. PVP is huge, but it really, really restricts this power fantasy yeah. right because you know don't get me wrong outriders has its difficulty and that's for a conversation for another day but it just it makes the 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 engagement so satisfying to be able to just think of something and say i want to try that mm-hmm. and the game just allows you to do it and and it's not you know obviously i'm not saying well i want outriders to let me fly Right. Mm -hmm. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is like, you've got this loot system, right? And 
oh, oh, legendaries have tier three mods. Oh, okay. I must only be able to drop one tier three mod into a weapon. Mm. No, who told you that? Yeah. You know who told me that? All the other games that I've played before. Right. Right. So I I really like it. Um, and and just, you know, a, a quick plug for it. Um, you know, quick at clocking in at 25 minutes, but quick plug for it. Um, I'm really enjoying it so far. Um, I'm excited to show you some stuff. It's definitely not something that I would recommend you play. Mm-hmm. Um, unless you saw it and you were like, whoa, this just looks so fucking cool, right? Yeah. Um, so I'm not cert- I'm certainly not gonna shill you on it. But um, but yeah, no, it's cool. I think that I think that what they're doing definitely has taken a lot of the feedback that people give about these types of games into consideration. And they've kind of said, you know, what would this look like? you know, if we were actually able to put this into practice, it just kind of sucks that the thing that we kind of had to pay for it with was, you know, um, the scaling back of certain other aspects of the content. But, you know, like they have this, the, this, this thing in there where I'm just like, are you serious? You know what I mean? When it comes yeah. to how did you not think of this? You know what I mean? Like the joining function, right? It's like, when you decide to do a mission with people, you can engage in it, the party lead, and then everybody else has to vote on it, right? And you can just veto it. So, mm-hmm. like, if you have, like, a griefer in your group who's just, like, wanting to be an asshole, they can right. just continue to, to, to just abort missions over and over again. And I'm like, how did you not come up with a fucking override system for this? This seems so obvious. Yeah. Shit, shit like that, you know? Well, there's... A recurring trend, so maybe this is the time to segue of as time goes on, developers being very blind to things that are very common in other games in their space. And even if they're not common, things that should be and are obvious to the layperson, to the consumer. And the reason I'm bringing this up is I'm very into fighting games. I very much like the series Guilty Gear. And don't we all yeah guilty gear which is a rock and roll and heavy metal themed fighting game it's from japan it's a kind of an anime game uh it's uh coming out with a new game now in june the game got delayed guilty gear strive very controversial because it's a a simplified version of guilty gear guilty Mm, gear was a very high complexity fighting game it had many systems uh, it required a pretty high level of execution on a lot of its characters. Very fun game, very hyped to watch. And they did a beta recently, I think about a month ago, that I participated in. I played like 15 or so hours of the game. Uh, it was mm-hmm. during a work week, so I didn't have a ton of time. But I right. tried to get in there and get some stuff done. And what in a rather forward-thinking trend in fighting games uh this may be a surprise to people that are in communities like destiny where they probably get a lot more communication from the devs than something like fighting games but they release now this is their fifth i think newsletter basically detailing where they are with development feedback from the beta and things like that this is not something we usually get in fighting games usually devs don't even act like their fans exist so yeah (laughs) Something don't st- ask me for shit. <laughs> don't ask me for shit. Harada san. Uh, Tekken is three. Uh, but there's uh, there's some interesting feedback about the beta in this guide. And I thought it'd be an interesting topic for us to talk about a little bit of devs just not doing th- the most basic shit to make their game better. 
So for those that don't know, which is probably a lot of people, Guilty Gear Strive is very controversial for its dumbing down of the game systems. It's uh, changing of its overall aesthetic. Basically, people accuse the game, and I think rightly so, of forsaking its core audience, people that are Guilty Gear fans, to try and attract new blood, people that want a more simplified fighting experience that has a toned down aesthetic that is more broadly, uh, that more broadly appeals to everybody, right? So on top of that, the most controversial thing is that they've introduced a lobby system where tiny pixelated sprite characters have to wander around on a tiered floor system. I fucking hate it, dude. Find other sprite (laughs) characters and hold out a virtual sword to begin a match. So like in Destiny where or or anything you play, Call of Duty, you just go into an elegant menu system. It match makes everybody together very quickly. You can change anything related to your loadouts right in these types of shooter games and you just enter the content. No, in this game, you have to wander around and waggle your digital sword at somebody to get a fight. And after you were done, so first of all, you would fight. You have to do all this bullshit to get it set up. It would you have to find the match, which could take minutes. You uh, have to load into the match, which takes about a minute. You fight. There's no instant rematch. So let's say Chris and I want to play Guilty Gear and we want to play sets. We can't just instant rematch each other. We have to go and waggle our sword at each other every single time we want to well, have I a do. match. I, I, I tend to waggle my sword at you yeah, quite often. I, yeah, I, we do waggle swords quite a bit, <laughs> which is why I keep saying it. Waggle swords. But you have yeah. to waggle your sword every time you want to fight somebody. And then yeah. on top of that, right? They have to waggle their sword. Well, when I, Chris, when I inevitably beat your ass... Your sprite character will fall to the floor in a crumpled heap in defeat. Waggling his sword. And I have to hold out my sword in advance because you're going to be stuck on the ground in that defeat pose for a good eight seconds. So to, to minimize the amount of time where we're not actually playing a fighting game, the person who wins has to then preemptively move to a fight location and waggle their sword so the defeated player can recover their sword and come waggle it in their direction basically all this nonsense to say it was fucking miserable and it made me not want to play that is just the menu system to find an online match yes why who knows (laughs) the the back the backyard which is what they call the newsletter also talks about other things people were complaining about like i complained about in my feedback that uh damage in general is super high uh hitting zone which is a single punch not a heavy slash is what it's called like a big hitting attack a single heavy slash does like a light combos amount of damage from previous games Jesus. um Jumping in is super strong because hitting someone out of the air doesn't tend to lead to a lot of damage. Whereas jumping in, like I just said, damage is very high and you can just kind of be a gorilla and go in and in and in. There were characters with really broken combos and infinites, all these things. Right. And we come back to the topic of who are you making this for? Yeah, right. It seems so obvious that you would just have an elegant menu based system to get you into matches as quickly as possible. It should be the least obtuse thing imaginable. 
where I didn't buy Guilty Gear to waggle my sword, right? I got it to fight. It's a fighting game. It, well, because like you know, I think about I think about Dragon Ball Fighters. Arxis, who makes the game, who makes Guilty Gear, made Dragon Ball Fighters, made a game called Grand Blue Grand Blue Fantasy Versus mm-hmm. that we play. Their their systems, right? Their general menu systems are these like little board gamey sort of kind of deals, right? Where like it's this way for across all of Dragon Ball, mm-hmm. but it's like this only in the online menus for Grand Blue, where it's you control a little figurine version of a character and you walk <laughs> them around to different places, and that's how you engage in the different modes instead of like you said, navigating an elegant menu where it just says click here for this, click here for that. Yeah. Um. So it doesn't surprise me, right? Like, it seems like it's up their alley to do this kind of shit. But, like, this seems like it's, again, like, as part of the design process, right? My wife tells me about this all the time because it's what she does for a living, right? So I've been inundated with the general design process for years now. Part of that, part of that, is understanding who you're making a product for. Yeah. Right. Huge part of that is understanding who you're making a product for. And a sub part of that huge part is that you not only source feedback, but you go and you look at what people want within that, right? Mm -hmm. What they're looking for. I, and maybe I'm just not as ingrained in the FGC as, as, as another person is. But I don't think I've ever seen anybody asking for some shit like that. <laughs> no, it, it, it's the thing of right. There's there is an inherent quality to a game that represents what the game stands for. Right. It is a fighting game. It can have any other bells and whistles. I've told you about how disappointed I am about the removal of extra modes like Tekken yeah. Force used to be Absolutely. in all the Tekken games. Right. Right. But. At the core, Tekken is a fighting game. Tekken Bowl is in there. Tekken Force may or may not be in there. Treasure Battles, which is still technically just the fighting game, right? All these extra things are in there. But it is a fighting game. When I want to engage with the core game, when I want to play Guilty Gear, again, I said I played like 15 hours of it, right? If I spend a third of my time not playing the game, which is what happened in the beta, right? you failed. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like I, I wanted to play 15 consecutive hours of Guilty Gear. Right. Well, not consecutive. But you know, what I mean, uninterrupted 15 yeah, uninterrupted yeah, yeah. hours of Guilty Gear across different time periods. I played roughly 11 to 12 hours of Guilty Gear and the rest of it was fuddling with the menu. Right. Those those three hours were robbed from me. I'll never get them back. Right. <laughs> and it's yeah. the thing to, to look at the feedback. Right in the backyard and have them say, oh, to alleviate the issue, we're adding replay, which this could be a mistranslation or something. Right. They may have always intended that replay, but you have people defending it. The criticisms against the lobby on Twitter and stuff saying it's just a beta. They'll add instant rematch. And to have it addressed here is like this afterthought of, oh, we could just add rematch. That'll help. So you can interface with this broken lobby less like (laughs) why why did you make a fighting game? Yeah. Or why? I don't know. Like I, I don't know the first fucking thing about about building uh, video game architecture. But mm-hmm. I mean, easy to read menus. Yeah, 
doesn't matter if you're talking about a video game or the fucking Denny's menu down the street. Easy to read menus, universally liked. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, e- easy to interpret menus. Everybody likes those. Yeah. Well, it's it's the thing, too, of I think they try to foster a sense of community in that you would go into a lobby like you've seen this in Dragon Ball. Uh, you can see it in other Arxis games where you go into a room and there's all these other people there. And it's like you being kind of in a virtual arcade. Right. Yeah. Right. But when you're limiting yourself to 64 people in these rooms to begin with. Right. I question the the logic of it. I, I, I wonder why so much of it has to be so obtuse. I would even rather go back to Guilty Gear and um, Dragon Ball is OK, but I don't like it as much. But Guilty Gear and Grand Blue having just the, the literal arcade setups. You can sit down at the arcade booth that's digitally represented in the game and it's just you and this person. Right. Right. But even that, like you get kicked out. Other games are guilty of this, too. Tekken has an elegant menu system. But every time you want to rematch a person, it takes you back to this kind of video loop of get ready for the next battle, battle, battle. Right. It's not just can't just rematch. Yeah. Just can't just snap. Get right back into it. Every single match goes back to that. Right. Right. It's it's this thing of. If there was a match of Counter-Strike or Valorant, you played Valorant recently, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Could you imagine in between rounds of Valorant, you having to go back to to look at the character select screen for a minute and then it plays a little pre-canned video of get ready for the next round and then you come back in and it's the buy phase. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Like, I mean, no other game makes you jump through this ridiculous set of hoops. Go ahead. I think it just com- comes back to this thing of um, the FGC as a community is is already kind of is, is, is very eclectic, right? Like yeah. you you really don't have it's not like it's not like the the community of people that play battle royales, right? Where it's mm-hmm. just massive, right? And you've got people f- just everywhere engaging with this that have all sorts of opinions, right? There seems to be like in these more niche subcultures like the fighting game community there seems to be this attitude of you're either with them or you're against them. Right. There can't be like this, this sort of, um, you know, sort of middle of the road kind of outlook on it because, you know, people look, people look at something like this weird menu system that we're talking about and they look at it as sort of somebody doing their thing, right. Somebody flexing their art. And as somebody that, highly supports and encourages people to do their thing and flex their art. Right. I say, go for it. But again, it comes down to that thing of why did you choose the menu system for the online yeah. to do it in? Well, it, cause it's the thing to, I, I, I think we had another topic today we want to talk about and this kind of segues in of it's not even just the menu system that changes in this game, right? It's there's been an, a shift in the fighting game space, right? I am someone who enjoys fighting games as holistic products right i'm not very good at fighting games um i'm decent i play ones that i really like online and i try and get good but mostly i just kind of play them for fun um i know the lore of all the games i have about the lore dude i have art books i love the music right like part of guilty gear for me is not just playing guilty gear online it's not purely interacting with the gameplay it's queuing up into a match as milia one of my favorite characters and fighting against a Zato on their stage 
And then the track that is specifically for Milia fighting Zato called Still in the Dark Plays. And this is a song that only plays when Milia fights Zato because they have lore background. And this is a big fucking deal that they're fighting, right? This is the kind of stuff that pops me about fighting games. And Guilty Gear Strive is the latest in a line of games that not only is making gameplay changes, is not only simplifying the gameplay, which is itself part of the pillar of the identity of Guilty Gear, right? Guilty Gear is about fast-paced, hectic action with dozens of systems and just right. this ele- elegance in its sheer chaos, right? The fact that uh, Zato 1, Zatoichi, right, he uh, has a, uh, a, a little minion that he controls separately from himself, right? That... Right. Um, I don't know, pick a random bed man, bed man from Exard. He's a dude that rides on a bed that lays traps or, yeah. uh, or Jack O that literally plays league of legends. She puts down little minion spawners that in every timed interval sends out a little minion, right? Like all these, all these wacky zany mechanics that's changing, but also the spirit of guilty gear is changing a bit. Like you look at the, the UI of older games and it's this dripping heavy metal aesthetic. It looks like it came straight out of the eighties, right? Everything's yeah. hard rock. It's got an anime tinge to it, but it's hard rock. And right. you look at yeah. Strive, and it's like this this bland esports looking. It looks like it came out of uh, Valorant, honestly. It really does, man. It's like it's got that very clean sort of um, like uh, Phase Clan style yeah. to it, you know. And it's and the music has changed. There's uh, everything has vocals now, which I mean, don't get me wrong. The songs are still bangers. Like I, I, yeah. st- I like a lot of the Guilty Gear vocal stuff, but it's like I, I don't want to listen to the same vocal for hundreds of hours while I play this game. You know what I mean? There's a reason right, fighting right. game music is kind of repetitive and melody based at a certain point is you're going to yeah. hear them shits like 800,000 times. Yeah, right. But it, the identity of the thing is changing and. It, it's definitely it feels like a slap in the face as someone who I I think people should gatekeep their hobbies. I yeah. think you should gatekeep your hobbies. If you want if you want your hobby to stay the way you like it, you owe it to your community to gatekeep, not for any type of identity reason, because that's right. stupid. I think that's what right. people get. They get uppity about, which sure people shouldn't gatekeep for an identity identity reason. But if you want to come into fighting games and say, you know, actually, I think combos are a bug that needs to be fixed, which is thing of uh, something real idiots say on the internet, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you need to gatekeep these people from your hobby, right? right? Because publishers, the people making the product that you want to consume, if they, if they think they can grab those people, they will combos will be gone. Right. Well, I mean, you can look at this and really draw a parallel to, possibly the the biggest gatekeeper we've talked about on the show so far gene roddenberry yeah so i i've been mentioning this to you so i'm in deep space nine so we previously shilled if you haven't if you haven't listened to the episodes go back and listen our first show star trek the next generation one of my favorite television shows deep space nine is the next show in the star trek legacy it actually ran concurrently very briefly with the next generation Set in a completely different cast, completely different uh, space in. Uh, wow, two Star Treks at the same time. Technically, Voyager was in there too. I don't know if Voyager. Damn. I don't know if there, I don't know if there was three at the same time. There like were two MCU at the same time out. the whole time. Yeah. Damn. So, uh, Deep Space Nine, 
takes place on the station Deep Space Nine over Bajor. The completely different cast. We have Commander, then Captain Benjamin Sisko, the first African-American male lead on the show. And I mean, like, lead. Like, he's, yeah. the, he's mm-hmm. the captain, right? Right. Uh, we have a uh, completely new cast of characters. We have uh, races that have never been seen before on the show, right? Deep Space Nine is interesting to me because it is a tonal shift from everything we talked about in Star Trek. And I think I'm more aware of it than I ever have been. I don't watch a lot of Deep Space Nine. I watch it like once every maybe five years or something like that. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm more aware of it because of the shill and because of us talking about like the aspirational nature and the right. the. um very forward minded approach of the next generation. Yeah. Some of the things that just sort of like make it stand out from modern content even today. Yeah. And TNG is still has moments, but deep space nine seems to like revel in making the show darker and more complex. And I have mixed emotions about it. So I wanted to, I want to talk about (laughs) things that change that you like. Right. And, and what it has to do to hook you. So DS nine as a contrast to the next generation immediately has main characters breaking core Federation values, something that is like anathema to the, yeah. the it's the, it's the, it's the worst thing that can happen to the cast of star Trek, uh, the next generation, Benjamin Cisco in the first episode, uh, he was involved in the battle at Wolf three, five, nine, where captain Picard destroyed yeah. all the things as the Borg. It's shown that he hates Picard. He hates his guts. He's unable to distance himself from the fact that Picard was not in control of his body and he just hates him. Jesus. Moment one of the show, right? He just he hates like, him. Oh, yeah. Does he, he have him. like does he have like a moment, like a tirade or something where he's or, just like, yeah, I fucking they, hate they, that they guy. Have this that very bald ten- motherfucker. They have this very tense moment where Picard is giving him command of DS9, right? Because he's a superior officer. And he just has this very tense exchange where he like doesn't want to take he doesn't want to listen to anything Picard is saying. He's very combative. Right. So Picard is in some of the early episodes of DS9. He's in the very first episode. And that's it. But it's I think actually maybe maybe the second two, the the first two parter that starts the series. He's in that. Yeah. But um, it's it's this immediate mood mood change from TNG of like. Yeah, we're going to have real human emotions, which like in TNG, the whole point was like we we talked about measure of a man. I don't hold you responsible for doing this because you were doing like you were either not in control or whatever. Right. Right. Then we have we move on to. I hate Picard. (laughs) Yeah, I hate Picard. We move on to depictions of uh, extreme cruelty on the hands of the Cardassians who are operating the planet where they talk about rape. Uh, they talk about how, uh, so the, the proprietor of the bar. So first of all, commerce is in the show too. People talk about money all the time and many cast members are obsessed with money, which is weird. Uh, so Quark is a Ferengi. I don't know if you've met the Ferengi in your Star Trek watching yet, but Uh, I don't think so. They are a long eared short race of ultra capitalists. They're, they're like almost comedic relief. A lot of the time they're, (laughs) they're obsessed with (laughs) commerce and money. Um, One of those runs the ship's bar, the station's bar. He's comic relief in a lot of the episodes. He gets into trouble because he's always after money. But he talks about how people pay him to use the hollow suites to fuck. 
to fuck Jesus Christ. And so just, like the joke that we made about Riker. Yeah, is like it's full is front a plot and device. <laughs> front and center. Yeah, that's what people come to my bar for, right? And it's just it's just Christ. all these little things come together of like anything you would take for granted in TNG. I'm not going to hold people accountable for things that were beyond their control. Uh, the, uh, Cisco plays hard and loose with a lot of Federation rules, especially as the show goes on. Spoiler. No um, there's a war in the later part of the series. I think I mentioned this. Cisco gets the Romulans into the war by committing a war crime in secret. Jesus yeah. Christ. Right. So it's just this thing of like, how did especially they were running at the same time how did we get from this to this and i still enjoy ds9 like the some of the enemies that the, they're the most love to hate them enemies of all time I, oh, I'm, I'm really enjoying yeah. where i'm at right now in ds9 but like i'm sure you have this where it's like how how did we get to this and are you just telling me to take a hike? You know what I mean? Like I was supporting you when you were doing this and now you're doing this, which is completely different. Are you just telling me to go fuck myself? Like yeah. what's happening here? <laughs> right, right. Right. Yeah. It, I mean, I think that everybody relates to that in some way. Right. Um, you know, we love properties for different reasons. Um, and I don't think that it's quite as similar as something like, you know, looking at TNG versus DS9 and like what exactly is Star Trek and why is DS9 the, the way that it is? You know, like, why are you the way that you are? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, but like, I think about that all the time when I think about Thrones, right? Mm -hmm. Where I'm just like, I loved this for very, very specific reasons. And, you know, for different reasons, you know, it sort of took on this different identity. And you're just like, what the fuck am I even watching? Right. Yeah. What am I, what am I experiencing? Cause identity is, is important, right? Um, beyond just being able to recognize, you know, the character or the, or the symbol that they, that they represent. Um, identity is important for the spirit of things. I sort of get this way about when I start to get into like book series where I'm like almost afraid to read the next book. Cause I'm just like, this was so good. Right. Mm -hmm. That I, I'm, I'm never going to be on the same wavelength as the author. Right. Yeah. I'm never going to have the same motivations to do something with a character like, you know, um, Jon Snow as George R. R. Martin would or will. Right. So maybe his dream scenario for Jon Snow is that none of the shit that he goes through matters. Right. That's fine. But that's not me. This is the curse of, you know, consuming a product. Yep. And this is also the curse on the flip side of that of creating a product, right? Um, we simultaneously want to respect the author while getting our money's worth and feeling like our time has been respected. Yeah. And so because of this, I think there is an object aspect to properties and to, and to media like this that should not change and it should not waver you know, say for explicit circumstances, like, you know, like, uh, um, like we were saying, like, uh, like sensitive topics or subjects or things yeah. like that, you know what I mean? Um, identity should not change. Things should retain their identity and what makes them good because nobody is saying that we don't understand that you, you have to change and you have to 
You have to, you have to, you have to make new things. You have to do new stuff, but you often find yourself experiencing instances like this, where you're looking at TNG and then you're looking at DS9 and it is so, so different. And you just ask yourself why Star Trek? Yeah. Well, it's the thing like it, maybe it's a perception thing where the, either the lowest common denominator or like what people think television viewing audiences are right. To go back to what Gene said in that episode. Right. Yeah. Like Star Trek. If I'm, if I took game of Thrones and called it Star Trek, right? Like in a time before it existed, here's our new show. It's a new Star Trek. And it, it showed up with Jon Snow riding up to the North and Ned going down to King's Landing. You'd be like, what the fuck do you mean? This is Star Trek. Yeah. Right. right. And I think that television executives probably look at these properties. I mean, we know this, but they look at them as easily cash inable grabs or it's just Star Trek is something in space. That's it. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Nothing else about it matters. It's core ethos, the lessons it tries to impart, the, the way in which it's written. None of that is important. It's in space. That's oh, it. exactly. Well, it's the same thing that happened with Star Wars, right? Like you heard you, we heard this all the time about how well they had to do what they did because they have to get an entire new generation into the series. And it's like, okay, so what was wrong with the series before it? Number one. Yeah. Yeah. That implies that they would be unable to appreciate the content that came before it, which I don't understand because I think that content like that is evergreen, right? Mm -hmm. And that it is... If it's good once, it's going to be good forever. Yeah. Stuff like that. So um, you hear stuff like that. You know, you you hear things, all these things about like, you know, um, why things need to change and why it's OK to sacrifice the identity of some properties. And I just don't jive with it personally. You know, yeah. I think that it's cool to change things and it's fine to do stuff whenever, you know, we are decades beyond and we we look and we say, gee, ooh, that's problematic. And yeah. you know what I mean? Like. The Looney Tunes episode with Hitler. Yeah. I can't remember what it's called for the life of me. It's something cheeky with Daffy Duck, right? Yeah. I've seen that episode because I love old cartoons a thousand times, right? You are never going to hear me try to try, try to justify why Warner Brothers shouldn't delete that off the face of the planet when it comes to their streaming content, right? right. It, there's no value in it, right? There's nothing about it that you can take away f- from it, having watched it in 2021 and say, gee, I'm really glad that I watched that, right? That was really good. And I feel like a lot of this stuff gets treated similarly where it's like, well, we can't just hope that we can continue to sell toys on you know a new hope and empire strikes back we have to make new stuff to make new toys and that's really all that sometimes it boils down to for me you know i think i think the other side of that because i think you're exactly right is they're scared to make new new stuff too why make uh like why try and make the expanse the next big thing when we have star trek right yeah why yeah. why just make things like if you want to tell so star trek picard right drug users in space that are very angry and fox news yeah. happens right <laughs> why make that a new story when you can just slap star trek on it and it's going to sell right yeah right and 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 the problem is right like i think i think one thing that happens is like we get new material right mm-hmm. And it's fucking whacked, right? Yeah. Like I I am showing how much I don't research this type of shit, but 
I don't know if Raised by, by Wolves was based on anything, but I don't yeah, think I it no was. Idea. Um, but I'm assuming that it wasn't, right? Because I had never mm-hmm. heard of it before and I know everything. <laughs> uh, but feel free to correct me if I'm wrong. I probably am. Um, but I mean, that show's garbage. Mm-hmm. So, like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, I agree wholeheartedly. But imagine now, imagine now, if you will, that it was raised by wolves. A Star mm-hmm. Wars story. Yeah. You know what I mean? We have to we have to raise these children in the ways of the Empire. Oh, no. Rebel children crash landed here. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. like you, you can see how they would do it. Exactly. Yeah. And so, like, you know, reacting to that type of stuff. You know, it it's hard sometimes because it's hard not to feel like a huge boomer. You yeah. know what I mean? But at the same time, like, you know, going back to what you were saying earlier, it's a little bit different than just they didn't do the thing that I wanted them to do. Right. Yeah. It's this thing of. Did you watch? Did you watch? Yeah. A New Hope. Did you watch The do, Empire do Strikes you, Back? Did you consume what you're trying to adapt here at all? Like, yeah, have you ever right. even heard of this thing? Because I, I think like I mentioned this before, I think where it's like all you had to do was make something better. Yeah. And I would have not cared. Right? right. And you didn't make something that's better. So why did you bother like with Star Wars? All you had to do was be better than the extended universe, which are books written by literal drug addicts that were pumping them out as quick as possible to get, to get content, to get money. Right. Right. Yeah. All you had to do was be better than that. And you weren't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. And it, 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 uh, you know, I said this about justice league and I'll say it again. This is why that I look at stuff such as, uh, Picard and such yeah. as the, uh, new star Wars. And I just say, you know, all this is, is really all the, all this really is, is edgy fan fiction. Yeah. Because it's somebody taking the characters that they like. It's literally somebody writing a story about how they fucked Squall. Yeah. That's basically. It. And that's all that, it, that, that's all that it reduces down to. Right. Yeah. It's just this idea that like, you know, I can make, I can make them whatever I want to make them. Yeah. And that's fine. Right. But when I tell you that it's fan fiction, <laughs> yeah, that's because it is. <laughs> What's well, like it, it? It's like not now. I'm I'm trying not to blow things out of proportion, but like yeah, if no. someone if I someone stage if someone stage a production, uh, my favorite Shakespeare play is The Tempest. Just no particular reason, I just like it. Right, I like Love Othello it. too. But yeah, if someone staged a production of The Tempest and changed everything, people would be rightly confused and probably a little upset. Right. Mm-hmm. I came to see the Tempest and that wasn't the Tempest. I don't know what the fuck you were doing. Right. Yeah. Now, Star <laughs> right. Trek and Star Wars are not high art. Right. Nobody right. is saying they are. But people were a little confused and probably upset if you said something was Star Trek and you showed up and it wasn't. Yeah. Right. Just because you right. say it, just because I say now performing the Tempest, if I change everything, <laughs> it doesn't mean it's the fucking Tempest. What are you talking about? You know what I mean? Yeah, man. Um you look for integrity in, in content, right? Yeah. And, and you just hope that it retains a lot of that because so much of this stuff is so good for a lot of intangible reasons. And, you know, art is different for everybody. Everybody consumes things differently. I, I, you know, surely have pulled things out of games that you haven't and vice versa. Mm-hmm. Um, it, that is the natural cycle of consuming media. It's just this thing of when it comes to the realm of, you know, critiquing it and, and conversation. Um, 
sometimes the lines between all of that shit can become a little fuzzy. Mm-hmm. But I, um, I mentioned to you last week um, to talk about some things that we love about Maisel. Yeah. And I'm really fucking excited for this week's show. What is this week's show? Yeah. Well, how much do you know about this show? Well, just in general. I can't remember if we talked about this before, but I've I have heard of it. That's yeah. about the extent, right? I, I've right. I've seen it advertised when Amazon was pushing it. People I know have talked about it, and you've talked about it, and that is about the level of entry I have. So I have the image in my mind of what looks like a flapper lady, and I think she was wearing like a purple <laughs> tunic, right? She was wearing yeah. she was wearing what looked like a purple tunic, right? And uh, she's got something to do with comedy. That's what I know. All right. Well, you're a you're not too far off. Mm-hmm. Um, but B, yeah, this is um, you know, not to crack into part one too early here, but um this is this is this is gonna be an interesting one because I don't think we've ever actually consumed like comedy together, mm-hmm. right? Most of the stuff that we that we talk about in our conversations revolve around are like, you know, sort of these like cape shit video game yeah you know sort of fighting game lore conversation so we've never actually sat down and said like watched the hangover or like you know something like that so i think it's going to be interesting to see if if this really sticks because i don't really have much to go off of when it comes to the type of shit that you like when it comes to comedy because Mm -hmm. the show is a sitcom it is about a female comic that much you have you know uh surmised correctly so you know i i it's different for me than like, you know, you sitting down and saying like, you know, well, I know you like music and I know you like some hip hop, you know, here and there. So like there are certain things about MF Doom that you can get into. Yeah. Or like, here's this five episode arc of, you know, Picard and the Borg, because there's a lot of Star Trek lore in this. And I know you're the lore guy. Yeah. I have nothing to base that off of for you with the marvelous mrs mazel outside of the fact that i think this show is fucking incredible (laughs) well i mean hey that's a strong pit like it's like me with doom right like at a certain point you can't have enough confidence in the thing where it's like i just need to show it to you you know what i mean like yeah i don't need to do a whole lot of shilling here like i it's different with star trek i can't just have you go watch episode one because right well yeah and i am admittedly i'm taking a little bit of inspiration from your star trek arc here and um so we'll see we'll see what that we'll see what that looks like we'll see if the uh if my idea comes to fruition i have a couple episodes i still gotta watch but i think you're gonna like what i'm what i'm serving up here we'll just say that i think that you can prepare yourself for some really fucking well-timed jokes um some really fucking smart ladies because both uh, the main character, Mitch Maisel, and her manager are some of my favorite characters in television thus far. And um, there's another there's another character that that I think you're really going to take to. But, you know, the setting is on point. Uh, the music and the soundtrack is on point. The cast is incredible. I can't wait, man. I don't know what, what I'm more excited for to actually just fucking watch it again or to talk about it. I just really don't know. Yeah, well, that's that's kind of the fun of this, right? It's like it. It's like me with any of the stupid shit I like that nobody else does. Like, man, I I just I just really want to talk about this with somebody. You know what I mean? Like nobody yeah. nobody consumes this. So yeah, man. Um, so I I really 
I really fucking need to get back to work on this is what I yeah. need to do. So all right, with then. that said, hey, you can find us at all the socials at the many folds on Instagram, on Twitter, um, on I think those are our only socials right now. Yeah. You can find all of these episodes where you get your podcasts at, as you know, because you're fucking listening to it right now. But we are on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, all the other podcasts, tune in, all sorts of shit. And they are also on YouTube. So if you got friends and family that don't like the newfangled podcast aggregators, you can send them a YouTube link and they can just pull it right up on their fancy Tandy desktop computer. Yes. That's right. So until next time, Scott, I'm going to go watch some Marvelous Mrs. Maisel and make sure I have the right arc nailed down for you. Sounds good, man. I look forward to it. Until next time. Peace. King of the Shield.